Yeah, welcome everybody to all of our campuses, meeting throughout the Twin Cities today. So glad you made it to church. On a day like this in the Twin Cities, it's so gorgeous out. It says a lot about your heart and who you are. So way to go. Congratulations, you made it. I also want to welcome those of you who are watching online as a part of our congregation. It's always great to be able to welcome you as well. Do you all realize that three weekends ago, we had a blizzard in the Twin Cities? Remember that? Just three weekends ago, it was completely lights out with snow. And yesterday, my wife was mowing grass. It's a beautiful thing. Anyway, glad you're here. We're in, a, we're in a series called Seven Words to Change Your Life. And so far, we've looked at four words, yes, no, thanks, and help. And those four words will absolutely affect and change your life. But today's word is the most countercultural word that we're looking at in this series. The word is enough. And this word enough is almost never used for anything in our culture today for food, cars, kids' toys, pets, travel, or entertainment. In fact, if you ever say this phrase, what I have is enough, people will look at you like you're from a different planet because our culture tries to convince us that whatever we have is never enough and that if you don't have the latest upgrade or experience, you will absolutely be missing out. One of our board members is Dwayne Vick. He's a great guy, he's full of wisdom. Wisdom, he and his wife Tootie serve on our prayer team uh, these days. And Dwayne did very well as an executive at U.S. Bank uh, years ago, and he was able to retire at age 58. But for 16 years, he drove this old used Ford Explorer, ugly as sin. And I'd say, Dwayne, how many miles? With pride, he would say, 180,000. Following year, same question, Dwayne, how many miles? With pure joy. 200,000 miles, he'd say. And I knew the answer already, but I would ask him anyway, how come you keep driving that old piece of junk and go get a new car? You certainly can forget uh, uh, afford one. He would smile and he'd say, I don't need a new car. This one's perfectly fine, pay for, gets me where I'm going. I'm gonna drive it till he dies, till it dies. Dwayne is beating the system. And I love it. A year ago, I ran into him at Tires Plus and he told me that his his explorer had finally died at 250,000 miles. But he said, Bob, good news. I'm going to buy my son-in-law's used expedition. I mean, who does that? Usually it's the other way around. But, you know, Dwayne, he's, got, he's in good shape, and he's going to buy his son-in-law's used expedition. I said, Dwayne, you dog. I said, if you don't buy that, let me know, because I'd like to buy it if you don't. Dwayne is a guy who knows the value and freedom of this word, enough. By the way, anybody here driving an old piece of junk, you ought to be proud of that. You're one of my heroes. I finally had to retire my old Explorer myself, uh, but I love this car. My mechanic said it was no longer safe, but I loved it. No car payments. You know, no car. I, I've never met a car payment that I like. No collision insurance. You know, I could ding it, scratch it, drive it through cornfields. I could haul deer in it. If you can't haul a deer in your truck, that's a problem. It really is. <laughs> nothing, gang, nothing wrong with having nice things. I've got a lot of nice things. In fact, the Bible has a verse. The Bible says this, God gives us richly all things to enjoy. So it's not, not wrong to enjoy new and nice things. Nothing wrong with having a new car, a new house. Some of you are like, good, I just bought one. Uh, new, nothing wrong with any of that. But I think part of the secret, truly, part of the secret to finding happiness 
is when you're finally able to say, what I have right now is enough. You ever said that? What I have right now is enough. Enough house, car, you name it, phone, money, is enough. I was thinking about what I have enough of the other morning, and I have enough food, always have, enough clothes, shoes, plenty of shoes, house. I've got enough golf stuff. We have enough yard and enough mulch. I am so tired of mulch every spring, mulch, mulch. We have enough Mexican hot dishes in the freezer. Lately, my wife's been on this Mexican kick. I don't understand it, but she finds a recipe out of a magazine, just a random recipe, but then she makes enough for 1,800 people. And I'm like, Laura, the kids left 10 years ago. It's just the two of us. In fact, Americans have more stuff now than ever before. I don't know if you knew this. Children in the United States make up only 3% of the world's kid population, but parents buy more than 40% of the toys globally. So we love our toys, and we start them early. This is, these are my granddaughters, and this, this one, Maisie, can't even talk yet, but she's on a computer figuring out the games that you know, they all have to have now. Fastest growing industry in our country, you know what it is? The self-storage industry. Popping up everywhere, aren't they? 38 billion, B, billion dollars a year Americans spend on just storage, storing the stuff that we don't use. 38 billion dollars a year just to store it. But here's the question. Does all this stuff make us happy? Does a thing or a possession have the ability to bring happiness into our lives and souls. But it's not just our stuff, is it? It's our stress. Our stuff and our stress. Kids sports, for example, I just have to say it. Kids sports has become an all-consuming monster in our country. I love sports, played sports all through high school. Our kids played sports. But, but it has become all-consuming. Three weekends ago, for example, there was an AAU basketball tournament in St. Cloud. Some of you were there. Uh, there were a there were hundred teams uh, with kids ages 10 through 17. That's 10,000 kids, 20,000 parents, 30,000 people descending on St. Cloud. Every hotel was booked Saturday and Sunday three weekends ago. Two weekends ago, same thing in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Every hotel booked Saturday and Sunday with 100 teams, basketball, and their parents. And that's great fun. But at what cost? For example, are those kids and their parents in church? Most are not, because there's just, there's just no time. And that's just basketball. Add hockey, baseball, gymnastics is unbelievable. Every single night my daughter was in it. Or if you have two or three kids in different sports, it's all year round practicing and traveling from tournament to tournament with absolutely no let up. Again, I'm not against sports, but you have to wonder if we are managing our lives well. And for a lot of us, it just creeped up on us. Kids started, you know, a little soccer and a little here and there. All of a sudden, it's, it's full on. Every night, you know, weekends. It used to be in our country that Sundays were sacred. It used to be that community leaders respected the value of worship and guarded that church time, especially on Sunday mornings, no more. And I believe it's partly why we have a generation of kids growing up who know how to shoot a puck, but don't know God, 
and can't tell right from wrong. So when our kids were in sports, we kept an eye on it. And we watched them. If, if we saw that their faith was getting a little wobbly or they were heading into the wrong crowds, we moved in on that. And we said, okay, here's the deal. And they almost never missed church. We made it a point. We made it a priority. Church was expected. Just a little bit of good news on this. Six weeks ago, Dave Backus plays for the uh, Boston Bruins hockey team. Dave and his wife Kelly live here during the summer in North Oaks, Minnesota. But uh, six weeks ago, Dave Backus and the Boston Bruins were in town playing the Minnesota Wild. And Dave and his wife Kelly invited 10 of his teammates to our church, and half of the Boston Bruins team were sitting right here, 10 rows back. Can you imagine that? So there's hope for the NHL. I'm so proud of Dave. I'm so proud of Dave and his teammate, uh, Kevin Miller, big guy. Kevin's just, a, I mean, he's a monster on the ice. Just such a sweet spirit for Christ leading their team, the Boston Bruins, in Bible study every single week. There's hope for the NHL. Hockey's the worst, right? <laughs> Those of you who are in it know it. But here's the question. How do you know? How do you know if you as a person, as a family, have taken on too much stuff and too much stress? How do you know? What are the signs? What are the signals? I think there's five signals. Irritability. If you're irritable, if your words start to have a sting to them, if you're a pain in the neck to be around, when I'm like this, my wife just leaves the room. She, she just knows I'm out of sorts. Irritability is the number one sign that my, I, my life is out of order. Okay, second one is this. Loss of passion for work, for life in general. You just don't care. Something is missing in your passion. You just don't no longer care anymore. That's a sign. Loss of joy, key signal for me. If, I don't, if I'm not joyful, if I'm not smiling and laughing on a regular basis, I can almost guarantee I'm stressed out. I'm overworked, I'm, over, I'm overcommitted. Bible says, by the way, the Bible says this, be joyful, for Christians, be joyful always. Really? Be joyful always. We have so much to be joyful for, to be thankful for. So if I'm not experiencing joy, that's a spiritual problem in me, sure sign, I'm overcommitted. Next one, skimming over relationships. Just hydroplaning. Not looking people in the eye, not being courteous. So once a once warm, intimate marriage gets a little distant, moving too fast, nobody's really mad at each other, you're just moving so fast, you start to disconnect emotionally. And if you've got kids, you know, who really knows what's going on? in the heart of your 10 or 12 year old when you're old, when you're running at Mach 2, just flying past people. A few years ago, I was traveling with my son. We were walking through O'Hare Airport to catch another flight, and he was walking ahead of me, and David is, is really tall, and I was just struggling to keep up with him. Some random guy figured we were father and son and said to me, he said, your son should slow down for you. And I'm like, yeah. And without missing a beat, David turned and pointed at me and said, I got it from him. All my life, David said, I've had to run to try to keep up with my dad. And now it's just a habit. I'm telling you, one of the regrets I have is I was running so fast in my 30s and 40s that my son and daughter often got the leftovers. There were days I didn't even know where they were. My wife did, but I didn't. And thankfully, a year of counseling helped me sort that out before it was too late. Final sign of 
that where life is overcommitted is, is just wanting to escape, and so you start to you know, fantasize, and temptation becomes really powerful because there's a deadness inside. You're just running so fast. You know, pornography, guys especially, looks good, and uh, you know, having an affair maybe, just to, just to feel something. And so looking for ways to an escape. Uh, gang, I'm telling you, if you have these things going on in your life, you're irritable, loss of passion, loss of joy, you're just flying past relationships, and you're looking for ways to escape, that's danger. You need to start saying enough before you lose something really, really precious to you. Now, here's the problem, and I... You know, you and I, especially in this affluent society that we live in, you and I will always have more opportunities than we can handle, right? We will always have more opportunities, places to go, people will always have more opportunities than any of us can possibly handle. And because of work, school, and children, if you have them, you are going to be busy. You're going to be stressed out. That's normal. That's actually quite normal. What isn't normal and what leads to breakdown is not resting. So we know how to work and run, most of us. Some of us don't know how to work. That's a different message for another day, okay? You need to work. <laughs> but most of us, we know how to run, we know how to work. What we don't know how to do is rest. And that's dangerous. So in Psalm 23, the most recited psalm of all time, this psalm can help us a little bit, I think, with regard to finding balance in our life. It was written by David. David knew what it felt like to be overwhelmed. He was chased and hunted down by King Saul. He was supposed to be a friend, but it turned ugly. He was falsely accused of treason. He led thousands of troops into battle, so he knew what it meant to have very little and have you know, things being shot at you. He fell into adultery, fell into sin. Felt immense shame over that. If you read the Psalms, you'll see where David actually wishes that he could die, that God would take his life. And so this man who often felt overwhelmed, he starts out this amazing Psalm. He says, but the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. How many of us can say, I shall not want. I don't need to want. Every time David came to the end of his rope, he turned back to God. And when he remembered that the Lord was his shepherd, he stopped wanting. It's when you hit the pause button and say, now wait a minute, wait a minute, I forgot. The Lord is my shepherd. God cares for my life. He's never failed to provide for me. I can trust him as the one who cares for me and loves me. The Lord is my shepherd. And when I realize that and remember that, I don't have to keep wanting and worrying about my life. Next verse, David says, he makes me lie down. I love this. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. David wrote this psalm in an arid climate where there wasn't a lot of pasture, and so when a shepherd found green pasture, he often had to make the sheep lie down because they didn't know enough to do it themselves. Sheep aren't that bright. And I just wonder today, has anybody ever had to make you lie down or slow down because you didn't know enough to do it yourself, like a doctor or a counselor or a friend? 
There, there's a reason why we feel tired after working a 10-hour day. And it's a lot better to learn to lie down yourself before somebody has to make you. Actually, we're commanded to rest. You know, the top 10 commandments, the, the top 10 of all the things God could have told us about and, and cautioned us over, resting one day a week made the top list, made the top 10. So in Exodus chapter 20, 20 God says, look, six days are set apart for your work. Go ahead, work, work hard, daily work. But the seventh day is a day of rest, dedicated to shopping and mowing grass, fixing cars. No, it doesn't say that, does it? Six days, knock yourself out, work. But you need a day a week, seventh. The seventh day is a day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God, you can exceed that for a while, but then something is going to break in your life. And I just want to pause and ask you, where do you go and what do you do to find rest? Where do you find green pastures and quiet waters where you can rest and restore? And by the way, this word rest doesn't mean you just have to lay around all day. It can mean exercise if that restores you, or it can mean you know working on a hobby if that restores you. That's kind of a restful thing too. I want to show you something I think will, I think will be helpful to you, and I've, I've used this before, so artwork, okay? And uh, I, I want to, I practice this. I just want to see if you, you know what this might be. So any guesses? What? A bucket. Is that what you said? You said? If that's what you said, you're right. I don't know what else people said, but anyway. So our lives are kind of like a bucket, and, uh, but we, we have holes in our bucket, and out of these holes, we leak. Somebody's taking a photograph of my artwork. That's awesome. Someone in the front row. We, we leak, and so we, we drain our energy through, it, through the day and through the week, and so things that drain my bucket, drain my energy, when I'm doing a lot of teaching, uh, when I'm doing a lot of traveling, and I don't do a lot of traveling, but when I travel, it, gets, it just wears me out. Social settings kill me. Because I'm in it, I just it just kills me. Conflict management. When I'm so when I'm doing a lot of this, my bucket is draining fast, and I know that I'm going to need to restore. And so, what are the streams, the restorative streams that are coming into my life? Things that restore my soul, restore my energy. For me, solitude, uh, time with God. Walks with my wife. Exercise. Uh, restores my soul. And it's different for everybody. So I just want to challenge all of you to think about this this week. What are the things that drain me? Who are the people that drain me? So I know that there's a person in my life that drains me. If, if I know I've got a half hour with that person, it's like, oh, just shoot me. I've got to have something... <laughs> I gotta have something to, and by the way, if you've got kids, I mean, you're leaking all day long. If you've got little kids, it's like torture. I overstate that all the time. I love kids, but I'm, I'm just glad I don't have any more. <laughs> Done with that. Uh, so what drains you? What drains you and what fills you? And let me just offer a couple of insights about this. You gotta establish daily, daily bucket Fillers, because the mistake people often make is they think they can run on empty for months and then just jolt their soul back to life. 
Our souls don't work that way. You know, they'll, they'll say, I'll be fine if I can just make it until my two-week vacation in August in eight months. <laughs> you're gonna die before you get there. So daily, gotta restore your soul like your phone. A little bit every day. Plug your phone in every day. You gotta have little daily restoration. So every morning, I spend a half hour every morning reading from a soul-filling, a good book that's, that just restores. I highly recommend this to all of you. Read just 20 minutes a morning or sometime during the day of a, of a great, not a mystery novel, a good book, a soul-filling book. We've got them in the bookstore. Just a little bit out of the Bible that I read and then I pray a little bit. And that little routine right there just settles my soul and restores my soul. I've, I've come to look forward to it every single morning before I launch into a bucket-draining day. Then at the end of the day, I try to exercise a little bit. I spend time with my wife eating dinner quietly, watching some sports and news and maybe a little uh, rerun of The Office occasionally. Then once, once a week or so, oh, oh, they're fantastic, I think. You gotta have a little something on the side, right? The Office. Uh, then once a week, I take a full day off. A full day off because six days of work is enough. People who are chronically exhausted, here's what they do. They work six days a week, and then they try to jam the seventh day full of laundry, home maintenance, and grocery shopping. Seventh day feels a lot like, hope I got enough juice here, feels a lot like the other six days. When God commanded us to rest one day a week, he meant for us to actually take a break and rest for our own good and not run around like crazy people. Now, to be fair, everybody has seasons of high stress. And it's just go, 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 and there's nothing you can do about it. But then you gotta figure out what you can say no to. And I don't care what season you're in, everybody can let go of something. You gotta think about it. What can we say no to, you know, to recharge and recapture a sense of life. Daily fillers. Second one, set annual fillers. So every spring, I've got a four-day boundary water trip I take. It's on my calendar. Every fall, a couple of pheasant hunting trips to the Dakotas on my calendar. It's got to be their annual bucket fillers. Third insight, beware of technology. I love what Kevin DeYoung says in his book, Crazy Love. Not crazy love, crazy busy. He says, the danger of technology is that work and rest begin to blend together. We never quite leave work when we're at home, so the next day we struggle getting back to work. This is so good. He says, evenings and mornings have lost their feel. Everything is blurred together until we spiral into illness, burnout, or depression. Quick word about cell phones. Don't tell anybody this, okay? This is just between you and me. But sometimes, sometimes when I go somewhere, I leave my cell phone home on purpose. I mean, I, can you believe that? And sometimes when I return home, I don't even look at it for like a long time. And some of you are like, <laughs> what? Some of you are absolutely in shock. Have you heard of this syndrome, by the way? It's actually some, it's a phenomenon. Phantom pocket vibration syndrome. Have you heard of this? <laughs> a study has come out to show that 90% of all students experience phantom pocket vibration where they think their phone is buzzing and, and it's not. 
You think I'm crazy. So this same study uh, found four signs that maybe you have a cell phone problem. Okay, Number one is this. You take your phone to bed with you. That's a problem. Second, you practice the art of secretly texting while maintaining eye contact. I mean, come on. You feel bummed out when you forget to bring your phone into the bathroom. I mean, you've got a sickness if that's you. And finally, you check your phone at business meetings, dinners, and sermons at church. God is going to get you if you do that. I'm just kidding. I don't hate technology. I don't. But I agree with DeYoung who says we've got to stop taking our phones to bed. And we've got to stop texting at every meal. Gang, if you want to breathe, if you want a sense of healthiness in your life, you gotta start saying enough and putting some boundaries around some of this stuff that we all wrestle. A few years ago, I, was, I blocked out four days right after Christmas for a North Dakota pheasant hunt because Christmas always takes its toll. So the next morning, my son and I joined a couple of good friends of ours and we took off at four in the morning, stopped at the Holiday gas station for coffee, which is always a, a, a fun routine, and then headed seven hours west to Flasher, North Dakota. It's in no, no man's land. Both my son and I could have stayed home and worked. We all, we all had a lot to do, the four of us, but we were so emotionally drained. We just needed four days of sitting in roadside cafes, you know, lacing up our boots and cutting through snow-covered bluffs of North Dakota. By noon the second day, I could feel the stress just leave my body. And that afternoon, I was alone on a creek bottom flushing pheasants, and I was alone with my dog. And I had this thought, there's not a soul on the planet who knows where I am. And it was wonderful. And God was breathing life into me. That evening, God gave us a father and son moment that I will never forget. And I could tell you more about it, but then I get criticism from people who don't like hunting, so that's, we're going to leave it where it lays. <laughs> but I will never forget that moment with our dog and pheasants flushing and at the end of the day, I said to David, it doesn't get any better, does it? And he said, this is a highlight of my life. Now, we could have stayed home answering emails and doing work. We could have grinded it out and depleted our souls, but if we had done that, no making memories, no quiet waters, no connecting with one of my kids who along with my wife matters more to me than anybody on earth, my son is an attorney, and that evening his phone started lighting up with emails from his firm. And I said to him, I said, you know, Dave, 10 years ago that would have never happened. But your mind is right back at work, sitting here in Flasher, North Dakota. Hard to disconnect. Two more verses from Psalm 23. He guides me in paths of righteousness. You might be sitting here saying, Bob, how does... Walking down paths of righteousness help me gain control of my life. Because if your life is a moral mess, uh, 
the stress and chaos that that produces is almost unmanageable. Life is really hard. Life is hard enough when you're walking down paths of righteousness. But if you toss in an addiction into your life, you toss in an affair, and it becomes really, really hard. And so David, he prays this prayer, God, guide me down paths of righteousness so I'll experience freedom and joy. If you're always exhausted and always trying to catch up and wondering why you can't quite experience joy and happiness in life, check your paths. Are you walking down paths of righteousness or are you walking down paths that constantly throw you into the ditch? Again, God cares for you. He's for you. The shepherd loves you. He promises to restore you and lead you, but we have to make a commitment to follow him down paths of righteousness. Final verse here, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for God, you are with me. It's the D word. We don't talk about death very much, but life expectancy in the United States is 74 years old on average. Some of you are beyond that. Some of you aren't near that. But what that number should do, 74 years old on average is when we die, what that number should do is it should inform us how to live because there's an end date. In fact, Job said it this way, and I love this verse, naked I was born and naked I will depart. Think of that verse. We came into this world with absolutely nothing. Naked. We're gonna leave the same way with absolutely nothing. What it means is that everything I have won't last. Nothing I have will last. Everything I have will stay here. And that should help me hold on to things loosely. It should help me not stress over things like the size of my house or how new my car is or not new or my slight hair loss or my retirement fund. So what? Knowing that my days are numbered reminds me that what's really important are people and loving those that are important to me and loving as many people as we can. But it's, what's important is sitting on the floor with my grandkids Got three now, I can't believe it. Enjoying walks with my wife and my dog, celebrating milestones with my children, deepening my relationship with God. Knowing that I'm going to die in the next, what, 10 or 20 years, maybe 25, helps me stop comparing myself with others who have more than me knowing that naked I was born and naked I'm gonna depart helps me let go of all sorts of things and say enough's enough. Because even though I'm going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, God, you are going to be with me. You're gonna see me through that. And we're gonna enjoy eternity together with a whole lot of other people and experiences forever. Where might you need to say enough today?
You know, some of us need to say enough to trying to do it all. Give it up. Nobody can do it all. Maybe it's enough to letting ourselves become so depleted that we're chronically tired, irritable, and passionless. Maybe it's enough to letting our kids run our lives and ruin our families. Enough to that. Enough to a culture that puts entertainment and sports over family and faith. And enough to thinking that the next purchase, experience, or vacation will satisfy our soul when only the shepherd can do that. As we close our time today, I just want to give you a challenge, a homework assignment, if, if you will. You don't have to do this, but I just want to throw it out there anyway. In the spirit of saying enough, what if instead of adding more stuff and stress to our already full lives this week, what if we gave or threw something away? Just, just to get used to saying, I don't need this. In fact, here's my challenge. In the next 30 days, I want to challenge all of us, including myself, to throw, give, or sell something away, something one, one thing a day for the next 30 days. So 30 things. If, if you can't keep track of that like I can, it would be like 30 things all in one day. Okay? <laughs> Let's just try this. Or give, give something, sell something, or throw something really big away. Just one. If, if, if it's really big, that'll do it. Okay? To get in the spirit of saying, I've got enough. I want to show you an example of what I'm throwing away these days. These are some nice pleated pants. <laughs> 25 years ago, I bought these pants at Nordstrom's for $65. I've got six pairs of them. Different colors. And they looked awesome. And the people at Nordstrom says, said, you're gonna wear these forever because they're such high quality. Well, they lied because I wore a pair to the office a couple of weeks ago and people laughed at me and they whispered unflattering things. One person said, Bob, you can't wear those pants ever again. <laughs> I wish I had taken the money I paid for those pants 25 years ago and put it in the stock market. But I didn't. So out they go. And if anybody wants them, they're size 33, 31. There's a stack of them in the back because I've had enough. <laughs> and honestly, my heart to yours, I am working on this part of my life. It's really hard for me. I'm just like you. I think I want the next best and I want to accumulate it and I want bigger and better. I'm just like you. But more and more, I'm working on letting things go. I'm trying to be more thankful for what I have. I am so, so blessed. I'm trying to write down things every day, three things a day that I can be thankful for. It does something to my heart. It makes me less greedy. God, I'm so thankful for the beauty of this day. I'm so thankful for my home. I'm so thankful for how good that coffee tasted this morning. I'm so thankful for my dog. I love him. He's, he's a gift to me. I'm so thankful 
for my kids, my grandkids. Jesus, I'm so thankful for forgiveness, for the promise of heaven. Do you know that heaven, if you can think of the most wonderful experience you've ever had on earth, heaven is going to be a hundred times better than your best experience with people. The Bible says there's going to be a new heaven and new earth. The earth is going to be a part of the new heaven and new earth. The beauty of this earth is going to be amazing. I'm not wishing my days away. I'm going to live them fully. But you don't have to fear heaven. The Lord is your shepherd. You don't have to want. Sometimes he makes us lay down in green pastures because we don't know enough to do it ourselves. God, help us all be led along paths of righteousness. And even though we're all going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't have to fear death if your faith is in Christ. He'll take care of you. Let's just close in prayer as we stay seated at all campuses. Father, thanks so much for this psalm and this word. Thank you for David. Uh, it'll be great to meet him one day in heaven. Ask him about that Goliath experience and how he threw that stone. David wasn't perfect, God. None of us are. He made mistakes. He made a huge mistake. But you forgave him you'll forgive us as well. Lord, help us to live our days wisely. Help us to live more thankfully. I pray that you'll give us all the wisdom to know how to do that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for coming out.